I'm so glad you joined us today. My name is Kayla Hurst, and I'm one of the pastors here at Northgate, where we envision transforming our homes, communities, and world by pursuing God, building community, and unleashing compassion. We're spending the summer studying and learning from the parables Jesus told in the Gospels. Parables are short stories that teach a moral and or spiritual lesson by analogy or similarity. These are often not stories of events that actually happened, but in Jesus' case, they were usually based on things that were intimately familiar to his original audience. Common things like events and celebrations, family relationships, and a lot of farming and agriculture references. He used these examples so his audience would recognize their own life experiences in the stories and be able to internalize the big truth he was trying to convey. So today, we're going to look at a parable from Matthew, this time from chapter 20. Matthew is the first of the Gospels, which are the first four books of the New Testament, which is in the second half of the Bible. Jesus tells this parable right in the middle of a bigger conversation he's having with his disciples, those guys in his inner circle, the ones that have been around him and heard his teaching for quite a while. He's spending a lot of time describing what the kingdom of God is like and, and how kingdom people, people who are followers of Jesus, are expected to live and interact. You see, this kingdom Jesus describes is both in the future and right now. Ever since Jesus lived, died, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven, we've been living in an already but not yet reality. The kingdom of God is not a parallel universe or some kind of utopia that we're waiting to plop in our laps at a future point in time. It's more of a reality that we're a part of fostering and ushering in now. When we read how Jesus describes the kingdom of God, we can long for the day when he comes back and finishes the project. But while we wait, we get busy, empowered by the Holy Spirit, making our here and now look and function like the kingdom that he will complete. We don't wait to act like kingdom people. We get to be an active part of the restoration process in ourselves and in the world around us. So Jesus has spent a lot of time teaching us how to resolve problems we have with others. But this time, Jesus is teaching us how to solve a problem we have within ourselves. Let's let Jesus tell the story. Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and again about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. 
When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. That's it. That's where he ends the story. No explanation, no conversation recorded between the disciples. Guys, when I picture these moments of Jesus with his disciples, I often imagine these precious moments of them nodding along, understanding, and following along seamlessly with Jesus' train of thought. But I'm not so sure that's what's happening here. Remember, Jesus loved to use everyday life as the basis for his stories, and this was no exception. The disciples would have understood the business model common for vineyards and day laborers. Who knows? They might have even been passing by a vineyard at that moment. But there are several things in this story that would have been different than what the disciples expected. Things that just didn't add up. But Jesus was a master storyteller. He knew what he was doing. He set up this scene to get his disciples' attention. And although these details might not immediately jump out to you and me in our 2020 context, they would have definitely jumped out to Jesus' disciples. And that's where we're going to dig in today. Let's allow the pieces of the story that depart from what the disciples knew as normal to lead us to think about how our lives as kingdom people will look different than the normal that surrounds us. So let's start back at the beginning of the story. The vineyard owner goes out early in the morning to find himself some workers. He offers them a denarius, which was considered a usual day's wage in the first century. It wasn't a lot, but it was enough to get by. It was important that the workers get paid at the end of every day instead of at the end of the week or the end of the job because a denarius would get them through until the next day of work. And that was about it. Jesus was then describing this landowner as a gracious provider, someone who gave his workers just what they needed when they needed it. In the same way, we serve a gracious God who provides for us in the same way. That lesson seems fairly straightforward. But then the owner goes back out to get more workers. Did he not know how much work there was? Did he forget how big his vineyard was? The story doesn't give us any hints as to why he goes back out exactly, but it it certainly suggests that it was intentional behavior, simply because he does it again and again and again and again. Add to that oddity that it was kind of weird that the owner was doing the hiring at all. He had a foreman. We meet him in the story too. And that's the guy that would normally do the hiring. But in Jesus' story the owner. And he goes out early, like everyone else, and gets his crew. But come 9 a.m., he's back out in the marketplace. He sees workers that didn't get hired by anyone earlier, so he hires them and sends them to work. He goes back at lunchtime and three o'clock, each time seeing more workers, hiring them, and sending them to his vineyard. Finally, about an hour before the workday is over, he goes back to the marketplace, sees still more people standing around, and asks them what they're doing. They explained that they simply weren't hired by anyone. So 
He sends them off to the vineyard for the little bit of daylight left. It makes you wonder if the owner was hiring workers for their sake and not his. The normal way of doing business is to measure ROI, return on investment. You invest in a workforce and expect a return in productivity. If the return you're getting doesn't exceed your investment, in this case, if the owner couldn't make more money from the grapes and the buckets and the wine and the barrels than he paid those workers, it's not good ROI. And if you don't have a good return on your investment, you need to change your business plan. But this owner, this guy seems to be hiring people simply because he sees them not working, as if the people themselves were the return he wanted. Is Jesus putting the emphasis on people in the kingdom of God? It certainly seems like it. And then we get to the real conflict of the parable. It's the end of the day. Everybody stops working. It's time to settle up. The owner tells his foreman to pay the guys he hired at 5 p.m. first. Wait, why? There would have been no complaints, no rest of the story from the first workers hired if they were paid first and then left before the later workers received their pay. No one would have seen the discrepancy in pay. No one would have cared. They all got what was promised to them, and that would have been enough. Instead, the workers who had worked in the field all day watched as the ones who had barely even gotten their hands dirty received a full day's pay, one denarius. Think of the pleasant surprise it must have been as they realized just how generous this landowner was. I can imagine the excited anticipation they must have felt as they went up to receive their pay. They'd worked hard all day, and now they were going to be paid by a very generous man. They reach out their hand to receive what is rightfully theirs, and the foreman hands them one denarius. Now, Just a moment ago, that one denarius was exactly what they expected. It was what was promised to them, a full day's wage. But after seeing those other guys, those lazy bums that had barely worked up a sweat, after seeing them receive a denarius, they just assumed, I mean, come on, it's not fair. So they grumble, they complain. And the answer they get from the landowner is not particularly satisfying. Here it is in the message version. Friend, I haven't been unfair. We agreed on the wage, didn't we? So take it and go. I decided to give to the one who came last the same as you. Can't I do what I want with my own money? Wait, did you hear that? Did this landowner just pull the old because I'm the mom and I said so card? I think so. And here's where it gets tricky and where Bible scholars are all over the map. You see, some scholars think that the parable is describing the early church and the tension that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles or the non-Jews. The Jewish Christians had been following the law of God for centuries But now Jesus came and was swinging open the doors for the Gentiles to become children of God too. I mean, that is true. But some scholars think that Jesus is telling us how there is no difference in God's eyes between people who have loved Jesus and lived a holy life since childhood and those who make a decision for Jesus on their deathbed. I'm sure. In the eyes of God, salvation is available anytime. It's never too late, and you are never too far away from God's reach. All of that is true and would certainly be enough to carry us through this parable. And yet, there's something that keeps ringing in my ears when I read this story, 
And I can only imagine it ringing in the disciples' ears too. It's the same thing those guys that worked all day got the same pay as the newbies did. That's not fair. It's not fair. Every one of us can tell our own version of this parable, I bet. You've seen it. People getting recognition or a promotion or a raise that, in our oh-so-humble opinion, we worked longer and tried harder for. People who didn't pay their dues like you did, but got opportunity you didn't. People who didn't earn or deserve what they got. You see, we often view the world through a lens of fairness, and it starts from an early age. You can watch a group of kids play for exactly two minutes before you hear one of them say, that's not fair, usually accompanied by a stomping foot, folded arms, and a quick march to the nearest adult. I mean, you come to dinner at our house any night of the week, and it's like a UN negotiation over the extra dinner rolls. She got two rolls and I only got one. Well, she finished her green beans already, but she only had 10 green beans. I had 12. Okay, well, eat 10 of them. You've only eaten two so far. But, but he's going to finish his faster and take the good roll. What? There's no such thing as a bad dinner roll. And we are not pre-claiming our dinner rolls. Eat your food. But it's not fair. Can I have dessert? Good grief. You know, you're laughing because it's not your kids. You know it's not cute. And it's even less cute when we see it in ourselves think we like fairness because it gives us some, some feeling of order and predictability in our life. Maybe even a sense of assurance and control. You see, fairness is based on what you deserve, how you behave, how hard you work, what you accomplish. There are consequences to your actions, both good and bad, carrot and stick, reward and punishment. Fairness says you earn what you get. But what happens when God's goodness trumps human fairness? Well, you get our parable. What if Jesus is trying to tell us that the kingdom of God turns fairness on its head too? What if Jesus is saying that God views the world through the lens of grace rather than fairness? This parable challenges us to change our own lens from fairness to grace. And the degree to which this parable feels unfair is the degree to which we believe our worth relies on our own merit. You see, when we rely on our own merits, we will come up short every single time. Isaiah says, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And as far as getting what we deserve, the Bible is clear. The wages of sin is death. Did you get that? Your merit gets you death. Your striving gets you as far as the dirty laundry. But you aren't alone. We're all in the same boat. There is no one righteous, not even one, it says in Romans. And then the Apostle Paul explains it to the new Christians in Ephesus this way. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from the start to finish. We don't play the major role. 
If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of the vineyard worker. We're on the receiving end of this landowner's generosity. There is work to be done in his vineyard, and he is inviting us into that work. Do you see it? We are on the receiving end of our good God's grace. There is work to be done to usher in this kingdom of God here and now, and he is generously inviting us into that work. But we can't go back to the fields grumbling about our coworkers. There's a kingdom to bring about and plenty of work to go around, so let's not get in our own way. Instead, what would it look like if we started to see others covered in grace? How would we act? How would the world experience us if we traded our merit-based system for acceptance of love and mercy and forgiveness and generosity? Hear me now, grace is dangerous. It reverses business as usual. Jesus ends our parable with this catchy little phrase, so the last will be first and the first will be last. And I can't decide if this was an epic mic drop moment or one of those times where Jesus left his disciples scratching their heads as he kept walking. It could really go either way. You see, the world says the last will be last and the first will be first because that's what they deserve. But the kingdom of God runs on grace, not merit. Grace is the rule, not the exception. Is that true in your life? Is grace the rule in your friendships? Is grace the rule in your marriage? Does grace rule your parenting? Is grace the rule for you on social media or the way you see and treat people who look and think and vote differently than you do? And maybe it's hitting even closer for you today, friend. See, what would it look like if you started to see yourself covered in grace? How would you act? How would you experience life if you traded in a merit-based system for the love, mercy, forgiveness, and generosity of God? Grace looks beyond your productivity, your appearance, your accomplishments, and failures. Grace says that you are more than what you have done or left undone. Grace reveals the goodness of God. And the worst part of looking at life through the lens of fairness is that it actually blocks us from seeing the presence of grace. It blocks us from seeing the fullness of God's goodness. In fact, a lens of fairness will eventually leave us resentful of grace in the lives of others. And that's what happened in our parable. None of those workers owned the vineyard. They all needed a job and they were invited in. But there was an important distinction between the groups, and it was not when they got hired. It was the terms of their agreement. The first group agreed to the usual daily wage. You see it in verse 2. He went out and found the first group of workers, and he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. At the end of the day, they got exactly what they bargained for, a denarius, a regular day's wage. Come to find out, this owner was evidently willing to pay more than usual, a regular day's wage for less than a regular day's work. 
We know that because the workers who got hired at 9, noon, 3, and 5 didn't negotiate the same wage. In verse 4, they went to work on the promise that they would be paid whatever is right. They didn't determine whatever is right. The workers from early that morning didn't determine whatever is right. The ROI didn't even determine whatever is right. It was the goodness of the owner that determined whatever was right. Those workers received more than what was fair. They received grace. And that's how Jesus describes the kingdom of God. So I guess the question for us today is, why would we settle for a regular day's wage when God wants to give us whatever is right in his eyes? It'll always be better than fair. In fact, Paul finishes that letter to the Christians in Ephesus by describing God as the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. I want to experience that. I want grace instead of fairness. I want grace to rule my life and my relationships. I want to see the kingdom of God ushered in here and now. And it all starts with grace. Let's pray together. God, you are good. Thank you for your grace. God, you are loving. Thank you for your love. And God, you are powerful. Thank you for inviting us into the work that you are already doing. God, we love you and we trust you. Would you teach us how to be relying on grace instead of fairness? Will you teach us that your love and your grace is big enough to cover everything we've got? It's in your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.